What's up, my brother? How you doing? Good to be here. I am very grateful this week. In the, I'm down in Austin. We just had a hell of a week with the with the weather and the storm. But I fortunately had power and heat this whole time, and had a few few friends and dog staying with me this week. <laughs> so we're, we're hanging in there. Yeah, I want to. Um, thanks, thanks for hopping on and spending some time with me. I, I kind of wanted to start this this pod just to keep in touch with with everybody man and, and make sure I, I don't lose track of what you know my my friends are up to and, and keep in touch you know since i move across the pond you know we're on different time zones so i want to take this time to like really catch up see you know how your business is doing and and, and just kind of go on topics that we think are interesting right now so for those who don't know let's tell them what charity charge is uh first of all and then we'll, we'll talk about how things are going. Well, sure. Charity Charge is a social enterprise that I founded back in technically, probably you could say 2012, but in all seriousness, we launched in June of 2016. And our focus is credit cards for nonprofits. So I think what often can be overlooked, um, obviously there's quite frankly, millions of nonprofits um, just in the US and, and globally tens of millions of organizations out there. They're just doing incredible work. And a lot of times, you know, people listening to this probably are supporters, volunteers, board members. But in the same way that small businesses and corporations or businesses have employees, have expenses, all those things, from a functional standpoint, an everyday kind of operation standpoint, nonprofits are the same way. And so one of the areas that's been really neglected are financial services products for nonprofits. And so that's what our corporate credit card for nonprofits is all about. We do a variety of unique things compared to, you know, your national banks or your local banks. And uh, our focus is giving nonprofits credit card that they can use so they can spend all of those donation dollars in a very safe and reliable way that benefits the organization. And it's located, you're located in Austin. And That's right. There's a ton of influx right now, right? Coming into Austin, people moving from from the West Coast and moving from from other cities coming down. Have you seen traffic get worse? Have you seen you know? Well, different- so it's interesting. This this week actually marks my 11th year in Austin, and so it's the anniversary of me moving here 11 years ago. I moved in February of 2010, February 15th, 2010. And over those 11 years, I have seen like just tremendous growth, buildings going up, traffic increasing, all of those things. But as it's continued to accelerate, like through this year, right through the pandemic, it's sort of been hard to have a pulse on just because there's just not as much going on. So people I think are moving here, buying homes, and then working from home in those new homes that they have. So it's kind of just been weird. I think that once we get through, you know, kind of completely through COVID and and all this stay at home stuff, it will be bonkers in terms of just the city buzzing and traffic and stuff like that. But they continue to just build and build and build. So I think that we're going to have infrastructure problems, but there's continually more and more restaurants, just, bars, places like that. Will they just keep up. building out instead of, like, instead of up? Will they just keep building out? Because well, do they have enough land? You got Tesla coming in, right? I mean, you got big companies coming in, you're going to have it's take up a lot of space, a lot of people. Sure. I mean, it's, it's everything. What part of what's happening though, is that there are so many properties and the way the zoning works, you can put B, B units on your property. So mm-hmm. there what's happening is that a lot of people that have basically a backyard, they're getting it zoned for a B unit, building a B unit, and then selling that for half a million, $700,000 type of thing. Um, so my Nate for, so no, excuse me, one of my best friends who lives on the East side, he, uh, he and his fiance, you know, bought a house, fixed it up, um, did a beautiful job. The lot next to him 
in the interim of that was an old, old, old house dilapidated. Mm. A lot was bought. That house was knocked down. And then they built two houses on that lot that normally just had one small home. Back house sold for 700K. The front house sold for 900 and So it, there's a lot, developers are doing a lot of that and just cleaning up, basically turning one property into two. And now are they so building up? Like, is it just like a... Um, a lot of those are two stories. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely like density increasing in terms of just lots and housing lots. There's a lot of high-rise condos, apartment complexes, those continue to go up. And then there's also the sprawl that you're talking about. So when you think of, when you say Austin today, I mean, you really kind of are talking about central Texas. And so mm-hmm. this I, I-35 is this, you know, main interstate that runs from south to north. And it really stretches now in the south of San Antonio up through your next major city would be Austin. And then after that would be Round Rock and Georgetown, which are you know, give or take 35, 40 minutes from Austin. So it's starting to all just fill in, you know, traditionally driving from Austin to San Antonio would be about an hour's drive or so hour and 10 minutes. And then going from Austin North to that, you know, Georgetown area that I was mentioning would be another 40 minutes. It's sort of all just going to become one mm-hmm. metropolitan area as, as all these housing are getting built in between those, you know, going from San Antonio to Austin to Georgetown. So are you going to build like a transit to get, or had they already? Like, is there fast ways to sort of get to these places, or are they building? Well, hopefully, because uh, Elon's here, you know, we could get the hyperloop. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> we could really use it. No, I mean, there's, there's here and there since I've been here, there's been different proposals about rail and things like that. We really haven't seen it. I think part of the biggest challenge is we're such an oil state. It's like getting your car and drive. You know, getting your pickup truck and go from here to there. Mm-hmm. So there's hardly any decent public transportation sort of infrastructure in Texas, period. How has the, the nonprofit scene and the startup scene in Austin this past sort of COVID year, what's it been like talking to executive directors in Austin, just startup founders in Austin? Has has the ecosystem still thrived? Because obviously it's been a hub. It seems like the hub is going to continue to grow. But has has there has there been sort of a lag or, or just people getting down in the dumps over COVID or, or do you see a sense of optimism back sort of, you know, in the startup culture and, and sort of the impact culture there in Austin? I mean, I, I think that at this point, there's a lot of optimism, you know, for me personally, I think for a lot of people, certainly at minimum, you know, the first, the first half of, um, of COVID, you know, I, I would say from um, March through September, you know, it was just kind of like making sense of everything that's going on. But <clears throat> through that, I mean, we've seen a ton of the nonprofits that we work with thrive. So hmm. I, think that, <clears throat> I hate to, you know, I'm trying to think of a better term than this, but there's always winners and losers hmm. um, when I think there's any sort of like market conditions or change. And we work with a lot of organizations, for example, that run facilities. So a lot of the um, nonprofit sort of community centers that we work with, like I think a lot of the JCCs that we work with, Jewish community centers around the country, they're, they operate a center, they have gym, they have programming services, classes, all that sort right. of great stuff in the community, and they've been shut down. And, you know, therefore their membership dues, things like that, it just becomes a lot more challenging. Um, and if they're open, you know, they've only been open at like limited capacity, which means revenue, you know, is going to be a limited capacity for them. So certain organizations like that have no doubt 
had a lot of struggles, but then we've seen a lot of other organizations that are more direct service and just like doing things like for a specific sector of the community, uh, really thriving. So, you know, I'll give you two examples about one organization in particular that I've been really impressed with. We work with the Agua Hedionda Lagoon Foundation out in um, just north of San Diego in the Carlsbad area. And they have, have really thrived through this. One, they pretty quickly realized uh, we're not going to have our gala. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be, you know, this big blowout bash that we usually, and, and they, you know, no, they've been doing it for so long. They have a pretty reasonable projection of what type of um, fundraising they would do during that gala, but they shifted obviously to doing it digital and they did a little bit of a hybrid digital where they had different board members. I think there were 10 or 12 board members for some of the guests. They hosted like six people at their house outside and they had caterers that like showed up with food and all of that. <laughs> But because the cost of putting this on was nearly, I don't want to say zero, but significantly cheaper than renting out a big ballroom and hiring Mm -hmm. a fan and having an MC and having, you know, everything that comes with that, they netted out way ahead. So I've, one of the really remarkable things that I've been seeing is a lot of nonprofits still thriving and crushing it fundraising wise and figuring out ways to become doing things digitally that ultimately are way more profitable. And I think that's something also for people that are listening to this and might be board members are involved with nonprofits is just, you, you know, you see all these galas and events and, and people donating for silent auctions and all, but oftentimes that organization is putting in so much time and effort and expense to put on that gala. So it's all about what do you walk away with at the end of the day, you know, just like any business would think about when you run an event or some sort of production. And then the second thing um, that this is again about this Agua Hedionda and I actually sponsored two of these for my nephews for their classroom. Again, a lot of their programming um, are different things around the lagoon and their their nature center and everything. And they do a lot of in-person, normally during normal times, a lot of in-person programming and education around sort of show and tell with the different animals that they have there. And it's kind of like a nature center. So it's kids, classroom, field trips come in. But what they've changed to do is doing these virtual sort of like pet, like science show and tell. So my nephews that go to school in Baltimore, Maryland, I booked them, I donated and bought a two Zoom. So their classroom had a Zoom session with the person that's, you know, in charge of nature and kind of animal education out in California. And they sort of did a show and tell with the different pets and animals and talked to them about it and stuff. So here they were able to really sort right. of take what they only were able to do. You think about it, like a limited market, just because there's way less p- few people that live in San Diego versus literally the rest of the world or the United States for that matter. And they're really thriving there. So I think to me, those were two things I just learned from that organization about how, you know, some nonprofits have been able, I think actually quite frankly, a lot have been able to adapt. What's it like over there? Are things opened up at all? Like what's the regulations right now for, for Austin? It's really lax. Okay. Even inside and stuff? Yeah. I mean, I couldn't even tell you. Maybe we're at 75% or something. I mean, you go places, maybe it's, it just seems like it's normal. It's really weird. I mean, this whole thing, this whole time has been weird about just the different, you know, states, cities, counties, kind of just doing whatever the hell they want to do and be no uniformity through it all. But I really feel like everything's open. I mean, one of the nice things, obviously, we're having this crazy kind of once in a generation type of snowstorm and ice and everything in Austin. But for the most part, it's just been super warm. So you can just do so many things outside down here. Yeah, that's true. Really great, you know? That helps definitely the restaurants, you know, if yeah. you're in Minnesota or 
KC or exactly. Nebraska or something. I mean, you're just you can't do that kind of stuff. Well, what about yeah, it's still like pretty much like locked down here for like restaurants and bars. Like that's not it's not open, you know. I mean, grocery stores are open, and again, if you're deemed essential, you're open, right? But restaurants and bars. I mean, we got great little cocktail cocktail bar that is our neighbor on the left, and a Thai restaurant that is our neighbor on the right. You know, and the Thai restaurant, I think, can adapt more just because they're used to to-go orders, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're kind of used to just making to, to-go stuff or deliver or pickup. But like a cocktail bar, man, it's like just, it's just him, right? He's like running. He's like, man, things were, he's like, I started myself like two years ago. Things were booming. I had three bartenders and like, bam, all of a sudden, it's just me. Like, I had to let all my bartenders go, like. The weather's not bad here. It's like, it doesn't really get super, super cold. So he kind of sets up out front and he can make drinks and he does a great job for that, you know? But it's like only so many people are going to walk by and like buy cocktails, right? Or like buy a specialty drink he's making that day or, or something like that. So, you know, that's like anybody around the world. Like for people like that, man, just I hope they can get through this because that's what makes communities awesome, man, is those like little places like that you know yeah so no, for sure what about let me just jump into it also too like a couple of things like i'm just thinking back to you know when i was in amsterdam one of the and this is back i think i was 20 22 or 23 but two of the things that i loved is i'm a big fan of duvel and they had duvel beer on tap like so mm-hmm. many places we went and it was sort of like their budweiser so it was really reasonably price yep. um you know versus getting here sometimes can be a little bit you know more pricey than your average beer so a is there that and then also they drank heineken yep. and amstel light or amstel yeah it's so awesome and i loved i love the going to the pubs and drinking beer so what what's the pub scene like and are there are you finding those beers on tap or have you found or, and also like i'm just Talking about kind of so the, the question is kind of centered around like what you've seen, if any, about like the beer and bar culture there. And what I wonder as well is like in the US, we've obviously had the renaissance of all these local kind of microbrews, things like that. Is yep. there, are you seeing like a craft beer scene or something like that happening at all? First of all, the beer here is amazing. Like the beer scene here is like amazing. So their craft scene, so from what people have told me that, that we've talked to, is that they have become sort of the craft beer hub of Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have uh, a couple breweries right around us within like walking distance, but you know, within 15 minute intervals, 20 minute interviews, 30, I mean, there's so many, right? And it's a lot of like IPAs, which I love, which is great, right? And it's a lot of just like really creative things. But the three cores they do have, Amstel, Heineken, Duvel, and it's really, really cheap. It's really, really, really good, right? The Heineken, the Heineken like museum and the Heineken like, you know, you've been to KC, so you know how Boulevard has like sure. the big we hub. We good times there. The Heineken one is like right here. Like it's huge. Wow. It's like a whole block. Awesome. And they have like, you know, obviously where they brew it all. They have like a museum. They have like a visitor's area this massive massive complex it's crazy huge but you know what's really really good too and really really cheap is wine they have like six dollar well 60 euro wine and it's like amazing right and are they think they're getting that from france or where it's all france it's all italy right so you don't have to ship it across the right. pond 
you know, I mean, so I guess, you know, the taxes and all that stuff, because you're still in the Eurozone, you know, so it's like, dude, a, a six, seven dollar bottle of wine is just like double it, right? It's probably a 16, awesome. 17 dollar bottle of wine, you know, in the state. So that's Have been cool. Here, you know, in at least in Austin, but I think across the country, there's a whole craze around, uh, obviously, ciders, and then also... Mm -hmm advent of can't believe i'm blanking on it truly and um, yeah seltzers the seltzer stuff yeah and all of that so are you seeing any of that out there they have it here but i i, I but again i i haven't been here in the summer yet we got here in january so i think maybe when summer comes around maybe i'll you know we'll see maybe more people doing like that seltzer and sort of cider and lighter side but mm -hmm. haven't i mean it's in the stores but it, it's nowhere near the section size as like the craft beer right or like wine those are mm -hmm. still those are still the top top dogs out here but we'll see All when right. summer comes man yeah a lot of things will change <laughs> for sure happy to hear that and then what about cuisine wise i mean do you feel like it's a big change in what you're eating or finding or are you able to sort of yeah that's what we were really nervous about was food but they have everything here man like again yeah. you got the thai place across the street is senior mustachios so it's like a great mexican spot i mean we're you're gonna, just in such a gonna have argentinian spot tomorrow right? like cosmopolitan type of city i mean it's just yeah they have i mean they have everything man so that's they have all kind of different stuff there's like a turkish place across from us um, obviously Italian everywhere, Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. So you really get a lot of cool stuff. And the one thing that I find interesting here is that there's, it's all independently owned stuff. There's not, there's a couple like coffee spots I've seen that seem like they're a franchise, right? That does, there's multiple ones, but there's not like, there's just not like a, a Netherlands like chain of, uh, obviously there's a grocery store that is, it's sort of chain. But then we have like a, a vegetarian grocery store right next to us, right? So we can go there and get like little stuff. But then when we, we can go to the to the chain grocery store to get like stuff that they don't have. But like a lot of it is small business and independently owned. The restaurants, the bars, grocery stores. So that's been really different, I think. Like even, you know, even in the States, you could be in the city, but they're going to have, you know, the bank is going to be a big financial institution right like here they don't allow no international banks it's all netherlands banks yeah so they they're very strict of like there is like a subway here you know there's like a domino's like they do have stuff like american flagships like that but there's few few and far in between coming back to sort of the food thing for a second one of the things i would tell you guys to keep um and eye on in a positive way is I've had, I've, I've heard this and then I had I, one of my really good friends was having significant health issues and mm. it, he was told, you know, look, the way just like food is produced in the US and GMOs and all that crap, he went over to Europe for an extended period of time and all of his health issues went away. And it's so, it's so crazy you say that. Worth now and every time he's in Europe for more than a week, everything just clears up about having to do with like the produce he's eating, things like that. I'm just wondering. Dude, it's so crazy you say that because we saw the same thing as far as food. It, it tastes different in that it tastes like lighter, you know, because the, the EU doesn't allow the same type of, like you said, GMOs and uh, chemicals and artificial flavoring into the foods. So everything you get, like, Everything that we've gotten so far is much, much lighter. They kind of they kind of let you add stuff to it at home, right? So like mm -hmm. we order from the Thai place and it's so it's not like this heavy 
bulky like dish that you would get in the US, right? It's just kind of filled and it's like a really heavy box of food, right? With all kinds of stuff. They kind of give you the basics and they say, hey, if you want to add spices to it or flavor to it, you you do that. We don't we don't add that stuff to it. Everything's just really light, man, because they can't use all the different, you know, GMOs and additives that 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 you can in America. So there is a, a flavor that is so different and it's lighter and you don't you just don't feel as like yeah afterwards right <laughs> right right no totally that's that's awesome How, what have you seen you know it's funny you asked me the question about like startups and stuff of that sort what have you felt like has changed if any yeah. regarding you know social impact companies small or large they do have a bunch of cool stuff going on here <laughs> uh and i can't wait to sort of get out and really go explore more. They have the the, the sustainable fashion museum here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, just as food wise, you can't do a lot of things. Same with like, um, like makeup, right? And anything like that, like you're not allowed to put all these chemicals mm-hmm. and additives in beauty products. So that's a, it's a bigger thing here where, where it's, uh, and any like stuff you put on your body, like, like female hygiene or anything like that, like, it's just, different right like you can't you could there's just all these different things on on the labels and stuff like that where it's they're definitely more restrictive right so you you could look at it from a negative positive right where america is very free and like freedom for business right like you kind of do whatever you want to a certain extent here it's much more there's a lot a lot of more compliance and restrictions and regulations so I, i you could weigh that good and bad, right? I think depending on what industry you're in, you can decide if that sucks or not. But I think for the consumer, you know, it's it's healthier. Some things are, are cheaper, right? The grocery store here is like really inexpensive. Food is, you know, takeout food is takeout food, right? It's the same as kind of the US, you know? So there's going to be stuff that's more expensive. Yeah. But day to day, it's, it's not as bad, right? It, what do you do? I'm curious, like, with respect to like just personal finance and stuff, like how, how, how does it work? I mean, did you end up opening up a new checking account that's like based in Amsterdam yes. and transfer money into that yep. and then you use that debit card or credit card or are you using like your US card if one of them doesn't have like foreign transaction fees? Yeah, so we got, you have to, you got Netherlands bank, right? So we have a, a Netherlands bank account um, and we set up transfer wise, which is, a super simple sort of modern Western union, if you will. <laughs> um, and that for a small fee, you can transfer money from your American account to the Netherlands account Wow! pretty much whenever you want. Right. So that's awesome. Um, so that's, it took a while to get set up. Like we're still waiting on stuff to get set up from like that perspective. Like our health insurance is taking a while to get set up because it's, there's just a lot of like paperwork and ID and stuff like you need. So I, I don't know if COVID kind of slows that kind of stuff down. I imagine it does. Right. So there's some things that we haven't been able to get done yet, but the hard stuff is, is kind of done already, which is, which is great. But yeah, again, everything is the one thing we said was that the government offices that we had to go to were like the most beautiful place you've ever seen. In your life. Wow. And I was like, this is a stark difference, right. From like, Going yeah. to get your driver's license in America sucks, right? Sure. But here it was like this beautiful place and it was like espresso on tap, you know, they have like latte machine in there. It's like crazy. Wow. Um, yeah, I was like, this is this is a stark difference for sure. Like that was the one yeah. thing you really noticed was was that. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's awesome, man. 
I'm glad you guys, you know, made the trek. And then what's the, the plan? It's, you'll be there for two years? Three years. Three? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Three years is Well, there. it'll be really cool once things clear up COVID-wise and you can actually travel around. You've got so much to, to see and do a train right away. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. Well, stay safe and, and awesome, man. Appreciate you taking time. It was, it was awesome to catch up, dude. Yeah, this man. Is, uh, of course. Likewise, this is great, I, man. Jenny, for me, <laughs> you know, you guys stay well, and I can't wait to visit.